following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. For uh, those of you who got the blessing of hearing me speak yesterday, I apologize for the double dip. Somebody said I was uh, I don't, just uh, hitting you guys twice in a row, so it wasn't very kind. However, um, for the rest of you, uh, just <laughs> you will... Uh, um, have the uh, the chance to hear me speak today, and that is not um, probably too exciting for you, but yet the Word of God is exciting, and He is, uh, um, God has been so good, and uh, to me, and just uh, over the last few weeks, I have been um, really laboring in prayer um, and in the Word, looking for what uh, God would have me bring to you. Um, it's difficult to just think of bringing one message uh, when most passages would take uh, multiple messages to even um, kind of, um, you know, crack into it at all to where we get really a full understanding. And um, something the Lord, um, as I was reading through different passages of Scripture, I came across Second Peter chapter 1. And when I read it, it was almost that God gave me this peace that this is exactly what um, he would have for Cornerstone today. And so I am so excited about the opportunity to share with you um, just what um, his word uh, has to say and uh, that you might uh, be receptive and open to receive it as uh, we have seen here at Cornerstone, everyone has been and um, will continue to be. So what a, uh, what a blessing. I'd like us to... Um, to read through this passage as we get started here. So Second Peter, Second um, Peter chapter 1, I'll read through verse 15. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from the, his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never f- fall. For in this way, there, are rich, there has been richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in the body, to stir you up by way of a reminder, since I know that you are putting off, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. 
And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, come to you today as people who need um, your help. We, um, we see our lives and we see how that we um, do not meet the standard that you have laid out. We don't meet it. We can't attain it in and of ourselves. We are incapable of doing uh, what you have requested of us. And so we need your help. We need Jesus. We need his sacrifice. We need your power in order that we might live a life that pleases you, in order that we might have surety that what we have, our faith, will render us that relationship and that uh, eternal standing with you of the holy and the redeemed. I pray today as we approach your word that you would give um, me wisdom as I present it and clarity as I tend in my own uh, self to muddle things up and confuse things. I pray that you would, you would speak through me and, and make clear uh, your text of scripture this morning. In your name I pray. Amen. I, uh, for those of you who don't know me well, I grew up in a rural, uh, I guess a rural farming community um, in Hope, Michigan. It's a little town. I think we had about 600 people and uh, not a lot going on there. Um, we didn't have a store. There was just basically a crossroads and a, and a post office, and that's about it. Um, However, um, you know, I would, uh, I often was tasked with many things uh, on the farm to do. It was a small hobby farm that we had. It wasn't anything serious. Um, however, you know, had, you know, eight to ten cows at a time, you know, a half dozen sheep and, you know, little animals here and there and whatnot. But we had equipment and we, you know, did hay and we did all that stuff. And um, what comes along with that is... Um, is kind of the maintenance of the farm. And so I'd find myself often um, out uh, in the barn and needing a particular tool to do the job. And I'm sitting there, I look at it, I know what tool I need. And so, and yet the tools were about 100 yards away in the garage. And so, of course, I ran to the garage every time and got the right tool for the job. Uh, Actually, I didn't do that. Uh, uh, often, I found myself finding the nearest thing and trying to use it to accomplish the task at hand. So, for instance, if there was a pipe wrench nearby, you could use it for hammer. You could use it for, uh, you know, for for all. I mean, for all kinds of things, you know. Or if there were a particular pipe nearby, you could smack something with it and get it back into alignment. However, what I found was is that without the right tool for the job, uh, I ended up being. Uh, inefficient and ineffective at actually getting the task done right. And even though I had the right tool to do the job, I didn't go get it and I didn't use it. And you know, I think sometimes in our Christian lives, we forget that we have the right tools to do the job. We live and we struggle and we have a, a difficult time in our Christian walk um, just um, doing what's right doing what God has called us to do. And, you know, here we are banging in nails with a, with a pipe wrench, you know, when God has given to us all things, as we will see in this passage, to do 
what he wants us to do uh, and to walk in a way that is pleasing to him. And so, you know, over, over the years, I guess I have come to realize the benefit of having the right tool for the job. And at, though it costs some to me in the end, I find that my work is of higher quality and it is done more efficiently and faster than just grabbing the nearest thing and, and trying to take care of the job. And so today, as we look into this passage, I, I imagine that you are somewhat like me, where you're living this walk of faith. You understand the truth of the gospel, and yet you struggle just doing those things. And often when we find ourselves not doing the things that are right, we feel inside of us, is this for real? Is this faith that I have true? Or because of my sin, because of what I see in my life, am I a fake? Am I a fraud? Is this an unsure faith that I am um, I'm believing? And so today, as we see Peter here, um, just to give you a concept of what he is, or a context of, of what he is uh, talking about here, Second Peter is really, is very specifically addressed to kind of bolstering the faith of people who are living a difficult life in such a way to prevent them and to protect them from false teaching that is going on within the church. So chapter 1 is where we're going to be focusing, but if you read on through chapter uh, 2, you have these false prophets who are even denying, as you see in verse 1, even denying the master who bought them by their um, poor behavior and pulling people away from the truth of the gospel. We see that in verse 14, they entice unsteady souls. Verse 17, their activities... The, Result, and these are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. Okay, they are so shaking up the body of Christ that the faith of the people that Peter is writing to here, these early believers in Jesus Christ, their faith is being shaken by these false teachers. And so he doesn't just say, Hey, these guys are wrong, forget about it he goes back and says, well, why would you even believe them to begin with? And the reason that you would is because your faith is lacking. And what I want us to take a look at here is, what does Peter try to teach us about true faith? And what does he teach us about the theology, really, of our salvation? What is our salvation all about to where believing that bolsters our faith, prevents us, and protects us from the error that is all around us that we see on a daily basis. We are confronted with that error as well. We are confronted even with our own souls to disbelieve the truth that we know about the gospel. So let's, as, as Peter writes here, you'll see that it kind of one idea tumbles into the next. And so we are going to just, we're kind of going to go through this passage, um, at least for the first several verses, and just kind of watch how it, that idea is built and, and, and kind of bolsters each other as it moves along. And so I'll be just be reading down through this text, and you'll see what I mean as we come along. So in verse 1, he's identifying himself as a servant, the apostle of Jesus Christ, and he's writing to those who have obtained a faith 
of equal standing as ours by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. So he is writing to believers in Jesus Christ who do not have, and I, I misspoke a, few, a little bit ago about the deficient faith. These people have, as we have, a sufficient faith um, that is in the gospel. They are not, he's not trying to add to that gospel in any way. These people have just as good of faith as the apostles themselves. He is just going to clarify kind of the working of that faith as we move along. Verse 2, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Lord, or and Jesus, our Lord. Something to keep in mind, some key words as we read down through. Remember, of course, faith, that is very much the topic of conversation here. Pay attention closely to the word knowledge as well as it moves down through. Um, and then we'll bring up one, uh, uh, there's several of them here, how he designs it. He wants you, um, he's using similar wording. And it's pretty cool, and some of the things that, uh, you know, we've been seeing in Mark, where Mark, very detailed in how he organizes his material, Peter as well is no slouch in organizing material. And as if you read towards the end of this section, which we won't spend much time on, but if you read... Um, one other word to keep in mind is remember, bring to remembrance, that you might not forget. Bring to remembrance. There's one thing, I'm going to die, he says, as we read in verse 14. He knows that he is going to die. And he wants these people, the people who he loves and has ministered to, he wants them to remember. And he, the way he aligns this is in a very memorable kind of way. He uses similar words. He lets a string of things be tied together in that they are very memorable. And you'll see that as we come through. So we get to verse 3. In verses 3 through 4, I'd really like us to park on because they are um, so essential. Verse 3 and 4 um, really set us up for the, the theological backing for the main section of this passage. Um, we think of Romans, if you, if you know anything about the book of Romans, it's divided up where the beginning is this large theological section that sets up all the practicality uh, of the later half. And you see that as well, even within this first chapter. So verses three and four here, it says, his divine power has granted, he has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God has given to us by his power, not by mustering up of our own strength, but he has given to us by his power the right tools for the job. He has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge, now how, do, how does this come? He's going to say, how, how, does this, um, how does this come to us? How has it trickled down to us? It comes through the knowledge of him. And who is this one? The one who has called us to his own glory and excellence. So we have been given all things, and how have we been given all these things for life and godliness? It's through the knowledge of him. What is that? That is the gospel, okay? It is through the gospel to which we have been called to his own glory and excellence. What a high and mighty calling that we have been given. That excellence uh, there as well, we will see as the first thing to be added or supplementing our faith as well is virtue. Very similar wording there, okay? By which he has granted to us 
his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world. I am amazed. When I read verse 4, it like knocked my socks off, okay? Um, I was thinking the kids, the kids had started watch. they watch, um, they've seen, you guys maybe seen the movie Despicable Me 2, and there's this big, over, oh, I would say oversized um, old uh, villain whose name is El Macho, and uh, El Macho is, he is talking to um, Gru, the villain, and he's, he's talking about the fact that Gru stole the moon, and he says, he says, he's like, stealing the moon? What are you kidding me? You know, and so I got the same feeling when I read verse four, and I'm like, partakers of the divine nature? What are you kidding me? I'm like, this is the, you know, the awesomest thing I've ever heard, right? Because the fact that in, at the men's uh, retreat, we spent a lot of time talking about the image of God the fact that we were image bearers and the fact that the fall ruined um, to where we really are having traces of that image, but yet we need to be restored, okay? And when we read this passage, you think to yourself, I am this marred image, and yet I am given the opportunity to partake in the divine nature? That is unbelievable. What are you kidding me? I mean, that's awesome. And yet, um, it is only through God. In verse 3, the second, you know, you see right at the beginning, his divine power has granted. What is it granted? All things that pertain. And also, we see it granting as well. In verse 4, by which he has granted, his power has granted to us, through some of these other things, he has granted to us his precious and great promises, the promises that are, that are true about the gospel, what we know about the gospel that good news that God sent Jesus to earth to die for our sins so that we might have life, so that we might partake in the divine nature. Let me, let me halt a little bit on this um, section here. What it is not saying, it is not saying that we are um, part of God as if a particular piece of him is, we aren't partaking as in we are, um, you know, part of him as if one of the Trinity, okay? That would be more than the three, so it can't be that, right? Um, no, but it's not. we are not partaking in that way, all right? However, we are partaking in a sense of, of quality rather than essence. So we are partaking in the sense of unity uh, with God. We are participating. We are um, even sonship that we have, the adoption of sons, we are brought into the family of God, but we are able to partake in this divine nature. And hand in hand with this, we have a, almost a simultaneous statement here. As one who partakes in the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world by sinful desire. This is all talking about the results of the gospel. How can one who partakes in the divine nature also still have on him in the eyes of God the corruption that is of the world. And the greatness of salvation is the fact that we have been freed from sin. That corruption 
that not only is brought upon us by Adam in his sin, but also that we bring upon ourselves by these sinful desires. So both affected by our generational sin and yet affected by our own sinful desires that we heap on top of it, that corruption has been removed by the blood of Christ. And that we are no longer corrupt people. We are holy in the sight of God for those of you who have trusted in Jesus Christ and have experienced the cleaning that God gives to you as those who believe. And so you have these tandem things where partakers are also escaping corruption and those who have escaped corruption are also partakers. You have that, those two ideas that are running side by side. And really, that's the theological truth that kind of sets up what he's going to tell us in a very practical way about faith. So as we see in verse 5 here, he lays out what I really believe is the hinge um, that brings action Think of a door, okay, you have, you've got a wall and you've got a door and that is, let's say, faith, but it's kind of an unmoving idea, it's kind of a static idea and yet these things that we read in this passage are going to give action to that faith. They're going to cause that faith to move and do things and that will be that full idea of faith that really should be our, our regular understanding of faith. And so he's giving us a definition of really what true faith is. It is not a naked faith that stands alone and has no clothing upon it to give it um, a persona, okay? This is a, uh, this is a true faith that is full in scope. So verse 5, it says, For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue or virtue, to supply to your faith, okay? Now, what we want to be careful about not doing in this passage is we don't want to view faith here as if it is deficient in and of itself, okay? Kind of like when we think about the book of James, if you've ever studied in the book of James, we will say faith without works is dead, being alone. Think of it in that concept where in that Faith, if it is just a belief, but it doesn't have anything to it, if it's all by itself as a concept, it's not true faith. Real faith works. Real faith does things. Now, the doing things don't generate that faith. That faith is a gift from God. But that faith should be a doing faith, and, th and that's where Peter is going with that in this section. So we say... He is, very, um, he is very intentional here when he says, make every effort to supplement your faith. There is a certain imminence and a certain prioritization that he wants us to grasp. Okay, um, John, sorry John, John brought this out in the men's um, activity, is talking about family life. And he said there, he's like, looking back, there is an imminence, guys, that we need to be focusing on that, these days to do things are short and they go by in a flash and they go by quickly. 
And so this is extremely important that you guys get this. And he had some very clear statements about, about family and family life and things that we needed to pay attention to. And I thought they were wonderful. And I think Peter is doing the same thing as he is looking, he's looking back. He is um, writing these really last words prior to leaving. And he is saying, this, get this thing. Make every effort. Push hard so that you can understand what I'm about to tell you. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, faithfulness, patience in that self-control, and steadfastness with godliness or piety, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Now that is a lot in that section. Okay, there are a lot of words in there. Okay, Um, what I would like us to focus on as we kind of go through, though, I would like you to think of this after really like studying this through. Don't think of it as a stairway. Okay, when you think of these concepts here, don't think of them as a stairway, as in, um, you know, down here we're on the platform of faith, and I'm going to add to my faith knowledge. And so I'm, I'm stepping up the ladder towards perfection or a perfect faith. So as in you have a, well, you're on the knowledge step, but I am on the love step. You know, I have advanced up to here. Here I am. I've got it. I have full faith. And I think we see a lot of error in Christianity today because of that idea that you are not sufficient in Christ and you need to, if you had true faith, well, then your family would be healed. If you had true faith, well, then, um, then you, would, um, you would not struggle in the way that you're struggling. And, um, you know, if you just accelerate through these paces, then you will be, um, you will have reached the top, okay? Don't think of it as a stairway. What I'd rather have you think of it, these concepts as really almost like patio stones, okay, in your yard, okay? So think of them as um, they all are going in a direction, but yet they're all something equally necessary um, for you to participate in in order that you might get from here to there, okay? You don't want to fall off the stone into the grass. Grass is wet. Going to get your shoes all wet, okay? You want to stay up on the stone and walk across it. These are things that are equally important, and then also you'll see are interrelated with each other, okay? I think you'll see that it's, it, and that's, I think, why people like to put it in that stairway models. You see that how they relate. Like, for instance, let's think of um, adding to your faith virtue. And virtue, think of moral goodness, okay? Um, or even as the word was used in ancient Greek, it's like moral heroism, okay? So being a hero of morality, Okay? I don't know if you get a cape for that kind of thing, but, um, you know, but you, uh, but think of it in that way, all right? So, however, how can somebody be filled with moral goodness, um, once again, on an island? It can't be, it has to be informed. How is it informed? Well, by knowledge, okay? So that next one kind of, it, it's definitely intertwined there as, as virtue, adding to your, your virtue or your moral goodness, knowledge, Okay, where is this, you know, we think about knowledge, um, and 
your mind hopefully will go back, like I mentioned before, to, to verse 3, where through the knowledge of him who has called us. So the fact of understanding your salvation and continuing to grow in your understanding of what you have in Christ will, um, will kind of teach you um, about moral goodness. It turns from a morality as in, I have done all these good things, therefore I am um, fit for the kingdom of God. It turns from that to, I understand what Jesus has done. He has died for me, and he has imparted his righteousness to me, and that's what makes me righteous, versus me doing these things, which, um, you know, which is quoted throughout Scripture as uh, from Isaiah, that all of our good things are filthy to God without him working through us to accomplish his good, okay? Make sure we pay attention to that difference. If we don't get that difference, we do not have a relationship with God and our faith is, is void. We don't have a true faith if we, if we miss that point. So faith, come to virtue there, to knowledge, to knowledge, self-control. Okay, there is this discipline aspect of faith there's self-control that rolls into steadfastness. There is a faithful application of this. Steadfastness with godliness. Godliness, think of it as kind of that um, piety or working. Think about um, piety in the sense of like a, a praying life or a, uh, a, a, an external application of what is going on internal. Okay? So not only do you believe this, but you kind of you act on it and it's visible. And then to godliness, brotherly affection, brotherly love. We think of brotherly love. That is the um, how all men will know that you are my disciples, Jesus says, for your, by your love for one another. So if you have faith and you're not exhibiting brotherly love, you see how that, um, that faith is not a, not a true faith. Also, brotherly love then to love. And there's, he's using different words here. However, the idea is you're moving it from a specific love for one another to a more general love for both God and man outside of the community of Jesus Christ. So this list right here, Though we could spend an intense amount of time digging into each one and how does this work out, obviously one time for me to speak is not, we aren't going to be getting to that. However, I want it to provide an impetus for you to study these out and really focus on how am I exhibiting, how am I um, bolstering my faith with these things, okay? And not that you in your own volition can do this, but remember, we can never stop and just focus. I think we get into error when we stop on one of these and we park on one and we forget what, he, what, what Peter has said in verse 3, that he has granted us by his own power, the divine power has granted us, granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And you know what? This is a list of all things. Okay, this is a list of those things, or at least critical things that um, that the Spirit has already empowered to us and has given to us. And so, if we fail to recognize that and just start trying to have a checklist, well, am I brotherly love? Yes. Okay. Now, although those should be true about us, if we are just merely 
ticking these off and saying, well, yes, 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 um, and yet trying to do it of our own volition without n thinking we need the power of the Spirit to accomplish these things, then all we are is doing works that have no benefit. They, they, do, they will not um, bring glory to God if they are done in that way. Okay, so what I'd like us to see, these ones you're going to see quickly in verse 8. This category of things that have to do with faith, Peter's going to refer to them as these qualities, okay? So verse 8, he will say, for if these qualities, and as, you, as we read through before, you see it in verse 8, we see it again in verse 9, we see it in verse 10, we see it in verse 12, where he is referencing these qualities. And he's going to take and teach us a little bit about what these qualities are all about. So first, I'd like us to um, look into verse 8. Verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see knowledge come up again here. Okay, now ineffective and unfruitful. I think I find it un, not unusual. I find it interesting that um, Peter decides to take the negative. If you see how he's going to lay these out, he takes the negative. He uses the negative word for all of these. He doesn't say um, even when he says, you know. So he says, if these qualities are yours, you would think. I guess I would think he would say that it keeps it helps you be fruitful and effective, versus keeps you from being ineffective and unfruitful. I don't know if there's benefit in that, but I, I, I thought it was unusual that he, he takes that. And I think it's more thinking about the whole idea of his writing is to warn people about what, what will happen if they succumb to the teaching of the, of the false teachers here. You will become ineffective. You will become unfruitful like them. Um, and so I don't think it's an, uh, an accident that he is choosing um, these things here this way. But if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if I were to have points, I guess I have three of them. Um, the first one is, and I'm going to call it a well-dressed faith, okay? A well-dressed faith prevents ineffectiveness and unfruitfulness. As we think of our faith, we, our goal as believers should be that our Christian life replicates what is true about us theologically, what is true about us, um, what God has said, this is true about you. May our practical life replicate that, and may we live it out um, in that um, you are holy because God is holy, but yet we are still, uh, or be holy as God is holy. And so as we have partaken of the divine nature, now live this out. Actually do it. Next, we see in uh, the following verse here, we see in verse 9, whoever lacks these things is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. And so we see a well-dressed faith prevents blindness and forgetfulness of the cleansing from sin at salvation. This, this blindness is typical of the unbelieving before they trust in Christ. 
it is something that should never um, be said of us. And yet when we turn our gaze from God, we are blind to our own sin. Uh, we are, if, I'm sure that you've experienced this in your walk where you are, are blind to your own sin and someone in the community has to come alongside you and say, hey, you are sinning. You are not living for God. You're not doing the things that um, espouse godly behavior. And they have to come alongside and live as you have been partaker of the divine nature and having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Peter is calling us back that those who do not practice these qualities are going to be living as if they were unbelievers, walking in blindness. They are so nearsighted that they are blind. They cannot see out in front of them. They cannot see the big picture. They cannot see that faith is not a naked truth. Faith is, is full-orbed. Faith is fully clothed with um, all of these things, these evidences of true faith. So first, we have a well-dressed faith that prevents ineffectiveness and unfruitfulness. Secondly, a well-dressed faith prevents blindness and forgetfulness of the cleaning from sin and salvation. I was reading um, one of Calvin's commentaries for um, this passage here, and uh, he really uh, he said thing, something that was, was incredibly um, like impacting to me, and he was saying that we should not sin and wallow in the bathwater of, or, or taint the bathwater of the blood of Christ by, um, by our own sin. And it was like, your sin has been removed at the cross. Don't continue in sin. Kind of like Paul says in, in Romans 4, don't continue in sin that grace may abound. Um, that's ridiculous. Don't do that. And, and yet I find uh, in my own life that I, um, I often engage in sin and I am forgetting all of that God has done for me. I am forgetting that he has cleansed me from sin. Why would I, almost as if I were wasting the water, why wasting the blood of Christ on additional sin? And I know that, you know, careful with that one, okay? Uh, the blood of Christ obviously covers all sin, However, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Absolutely not. This is ridiculous that we would even think about doing that when we have been given um, all and we've been, we have been placed in a position um, that is one of partaker in the divine nature. It's unbelievable. Then the third one I'd like us to take a look at is in 10 and 11 here. 10 and 11, therefore, brothers... Be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Don't believe he is saying that you will never fall in that. You will never sin again, but you are not going to fall away from the faith. Why? You have a surety in your faith in that um, 
you are experiencing and living a true faith. And so the last point I would like to bring up here is that a well-dressed faith prevents questioning of the work of God in our salvation, making our calling and election sure in that I grew up, I grew up in a, um, it was a, it was a Baptist church, an independent Baptist church to where the doctrine of eternal security was extremely pronounced and broadcasted in that you prayed a prayer for salvation and that was a, that was a done deal. You prayed the prayer. Okay. However, as God has brought me along into, brought me along throughout the context of Scripture, is those who do believe do have a sure salvation. However, those who are not um, acting upon that belief and choosing a lifestyle of sin and choosing a lifestyle that is away from that, they have no surety in their salvation. You can never be sure um, of your salvation if your your life does not espouse the things that are intrinsic to Christianity, to those intrinsic to living uh, a life that pleases God. And of course, we know at the beginning, where does that power come to even do that? Of course, it comes from God. It's not of our own. It's not something that we can generate in and of ourselves. It is something that God has to do through us and work in us and empower us to go and do it. However, today, I don't think we should ever, you know, one of the scariest passages to read are when those who were doing the work of God are standing before God and he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. And why is that? And that is because that faith was there, was, there were works being done, but it was not being done through the avenue that God had set up in that God empowering people, not only giving them faith to believe, giving them all these things that pertain to life and godliness, um, allowing them to partake in the divine nature, removing that uh, corruption that comes from sin, and yet I want us always to be, I ask myself often to ensure that, that I really am, am I believing? And over time, obviously, God has given to me that surety. He has infused that um, surety that I am a child of God. And yet, don't let us just relinquish that. You know, if, if we are living a lifestyle of sin, we should not have a false security of our salvation because God, and this is a great thing, God is more invested in you living for him than you are. And he will bring you back and he will bring you around and he will take you and he will continue to show you himself because he wants you to not have a naked faith that is just a belief. He wants to well-dress your faith to where it is a full-orbed faith, as described in here, and he wants to prevent you from being ineffective and not bearing fruit. He wants to prevent you from being blind and forgetting of all of his wonderful truths and blessings that are associated with the gospel. And he wants to prevent questioning in your own heart. He wants to give you that surety that is true of salvation. And so... 
as Peter has, says in here, in the later verses here, he wants to stir up by way of a reminder as he is heading out of this life that we, that them, in that case, and then I think as it trans- transfers down to us so many years later, that we might be able to recall these things. And as we're living our life and in the trenches of daily life, <clears throat> we are not forgetting the wonderful truth that God has given to us all things for life and godliness and to live out those things in our daily life and watch how God bolsters our faith, allows us to produce fruit, and opens our eyes so that we might remember what a great God he is and what he has done for us. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I praise you today because you are an awesome God. We do not deserve what you have done for us. We are sinful. We are sorry people that continue to sin. We continue to forget what wonderful things that you have done for us in your gospel. We continue to, um, to go our own way and, and, and not remember um, you. And we sometimes get even caught up in just talking about the gospel without remembering the true, all the truth that is in it. And I pray that you would help us, that we wouldn't try to do these things on our own. I pray that you would help us, that you would, um, I say, continue to help us as you have brought us so far. And in our church here, Cornerstone, as we have joined together to encourage each other of these truths, this is not something that is not being done in our midst. This is not something that is, is not um, seen here because you have given us your truth and you have instilled in us a desire to, to live a, a true, a sure faith. And it's so exciting to see you doing this work. I pray that we would never forget it. I pray that we would always just love to watch you work and watch you change our lives Watch you turn us um, from people who love ourselves into people who love you. We thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen.